Two questions I want to ask you today. What is God's word to you? And where is God's word to you? Those are the two main questions that we're going to explore uh, by going through a psalm uh, this morning. And the psalm that we're going over is Psalm 119. Now, if any of you have read ahead in Psalm 119, you might be panicking because it's traditional at the GraceWorks that we usually go through books of the Bible or passages verse by verse. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. It would take about 11 or 12 minutes just to read through this psalm. So we're not going to do that. What I want to do is to just take uh, some snippets of this psalm because it has one major theme, a theme that uh, was picked up on in the last psalm that we did last week when Pastor Mark was preaching through Psalm 19, and it is the Word of God how important scripture is, um, how vital the word of God is. And my hope is that if we can just capture a glimpse and a taste of what the author feels, believes, experiences from the word of God, that I think it would be incredibly beneficial for us. As I said, there is a theme, one theme throughout Psalm 119. And that is the word of God. And the author uses a number of synonyms for the word of God. And you'll see these over and over, almost one per line in this entire poem. He uses words like law, word, testimonies, precepts, ways, statutes, commandments, rules. He throws in a couple others as well, but those are like the eight main synonyms that he uses over and over and over again talking about the word of God. Now, we don't know when this psalm, this poem was written, um, and it was written in another language. And so there are some things sometimes that get lost in translation. Uh, This psalm was originally written in Hebrew, and while the English versions of the Bible that we have and can read and can get um, and understand, they are very adequate for us to understand who God is, who we are, and our incredible need for salvation from our sin. All of that is absolutely possible, but there are some pieces sometimes that don't come through in the English very well, and I don't think there's any other place in scripture where this is more profound than Psalm 119. Because if you're looking at your Bible, there's an incredible structure to it, and you can see some of it, uh, but the first word that you will see in Psalm 119 is something called Aleph. Like, who's Aleph? Uh, The second heading is Beth, Aleph Beth. Sounds kinda like alphabet, uh, which is in fact, Um, what it is. So this poem, the structure of the poem, goes through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 of them, and the first line of every single section there, this is an acrostic poem, meaning under Aleph, the eight lines start with the letter Aleph. In the second section, Beth, The eight lines start with the letter Beth. So this is an incredibly complex, incredibly brilliant form of poetry, right? Like you tried doing that, right? Eight lines that begin with Z. Yeah, 
Anyway, um, so this is, this is the structure of Psalm 119, and there's this the beauty in the language um, that I want you to understand as well. Um, when he's talking, the author, again, we don't know when this was written, when he's talking about the law, when he's talking about God's word, uh, what that probably would have meant uh, was what Jews typically refer to as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, that's often referred to as the law uh, in Judaism. And so it would be that, like God's written commandments that he gave to Moses after he rescued uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and maybe some other things as well, maybe some history um, that we see in the Old Testament, maybe some prophets that we see in the Old Testament. Um, so when we're, when we're reading Psalm 119, that's what they would be referring to. But I think when we apply this to our own lives, I think it's very fair to be able to look at all of scripture as God's word and apply that to our lives because there is the same benefit. Um, we just have the privilege of having more of it. So uh, let's get into a couple of parts of Psalm 119 and uh, some of the images that the author uses to describe God's word. And one of the, the profound images is a light. Right, in Psalm 119, 105, the author says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, how many of you have ever been in the dark? How many of you ever tried to move around in the dark? How do you do it? Slowly, right? There's gonna be no running. Right? I was thinking about this and I remember a time when I was playing at a friend's house and we were in the dark in the basement, at least this is I think how I remember it. We were in the dark in a basement playing like tag or something, right, brilliant. Um, I ran into a couch, full speed, and, um, and it came down and crushed my legs against the concrete and my knees and I couldn't walk for a little while and it was, like, it was very painful. Uh, I was not using wisdom, but imagine if there had been light now, at that age, I still might have run into the couch. But point being, you could see your next step, right? You could see your path clearly. You can see solid ground and where your next step should be. And you can have confidence and you can run. The same is true with God's word, right? God's word allows us to see the path in front of us, the right path, the solid ground, it's very practical, it's very useful. But like with anything, it can also be taken for granted. When was the last time you turned on a light switch and said, this is incredible, I love light. Now just flick it on and you expect it to happen. Right, and you're very put out when it doesn't. We take things so for granted so easily. But what I appreciate so much about Psalm 119 is that the author never seems to take the word of God for granted. I love that. And so yes, while the word of God, while scripture is practical and useful as a guide for showing us what to do, it's more than that. And I love how the author develops this as well. Let me, let me share another verse with you that seems maybe like 
a bit of a contradiction. Psalm 119, uh, verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Or another way of translating that second part of the line is, for you set my heart free. Um, I don't know exactly what enlarge my heart means. It sounds kind of like a medical condition. So I, I, like, I like the concept of the freedom in that, in that alternate translation. But the author goes beyond just walking in the light, right? He, he's going to run in the path of God's word. That's an interesting concept. And if we think about that for just a little while, running, there's like a quality of obedience in this verse but also just this, this full-on abandon and this freedom that seems to come from God's word. And yet, I'm guessing that maybe some of you in this room are thinking, yeah, but that's what I struggle with, with Christianity or the Bible. Because it seems like a lot of do's and don'ts. It seems like a lot of commandments. It seems like a lot of Rules, I don't like rules. Yes, you do. Like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you actually do. Now, you may not like some rules, but I guarantee you appreciate rules. You love the rule that I can't come over and take your wallet. You like that. You don't think about it often, probably, but you like that rule. Uh, when you play a game, you love rules. Otherwise, it ends up being all Lord of the Flies, you know? A game of Uno turns into all-out war, right? When you, when you play a game of kickball, you like the rules. Now, you can argue about the rules and the application of the rules, but there's gotta be some kind of structure there so that then you can enjoy the game. You can focus on that, right? Probably most of you, hopefully you weren't this kid, but you've probably played a game with a kid who tries to change the rules all the time to their advantage, right? It is so frustrating. No pointing, all right? Um, but we have, we have rules, right? Without rules, relationships are strained. Because what comes out in the absence of rules is our greed, our selfishness, our desire to win, to beat others, etc., that all comes out without some kind of constraint. So we have rules, written and unwritten. Right? We have all sorts of written rules. We have unwritten rules, social rules. You appreciate that when we have a conversation, I don't stand an inch away from you and pet you the whole time. Like, that would be weird. It's a rule. We all follow it, and it's there, and we appreciate it. We just don't think about it a whole lot. But here's, here's the thing that I love about this particular verse is that concept of freedom in rules. Because that seems very contradictory and yet that's just what the author seems to be saying. And so here's a question for you. Is a train more free or less free on its tracks? Is a train more free or less free on its tracks? More free, right? It can move. And if trains could think, they could protest against being in the constraints of the track, but they'd be missing their point and their purpose. 
And I think the same is true with people sometimes that we, we bristle at the thought of rules and someone else telling us what to do. We bristle with that all growing up with our parents and we bristle that with that as adults with employers. And sometimes we bristle at it with God. But he knows what's best for us and he's given us a gracious gift in things to do and don't do, not to be devoid of relationship, but to help the relationship. I remember what I said about rules. Without rules, relationships are strained. Think of the incredible relationship that you have or can have or could have with people when the rules are being followed. The home is harmonious when rules are being followed by kids, right? And our relationship with God can be harmonious and joy-filled because then we don't have to worry about getting stuck off the tracks all the time, but we can focus on moving forward in God's will. There are a lot of different things that the author of Psalm 119 says that, the, that God's word is the source of. Uh, blessing, purity, delight, life, Wisdom, comfort, strength, just to name a few. One of the things I wanted to highlight was this concept of life, right? So from a, from a strict sense, God's word is certainly life, right? It tells us our problem of sin. It tells us the solution, which is the person and the work of Jesus Christ in dying on a cross for our sin, And it tells us how, through faith, we can become a part of the family of God, adopted into his family and loved by God. So that's that's very linear, that's very practical, right? I I can read this, I can intellectually know it, and there's life in it. And yet, I think the author even means more than this as he goes through and talks about life being in there. Again, this, this concept of taking things for granted, we're so susceptible to it. Uh, I certainly am in my own life. Uh, you think about, think about something like as simple as water. Life, to us, right? All of us would agree in a very practical way, that if we don't have this, we won't be able to live very long. And yet, how often do we really appreciate it? Because in my own life, I kind of find water a little boring. I just do, like, let's add some sugar. Let's add some carbonation, please. I would much rather drink that than water. And yet, I think the author as he's looking at God's word, as he's interacting with God, God's word, he has such a deep appreciation for it. And why? Because he needed it. Uh, several times throughout Psalm 119, you get this picture um, that, this, that this author went astray prior to um, essentially having this relationship with God through his word. Um, and that and that he appreciated it because um, he realized how much he needed it. Right, that, that uh, he said in, in one case in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, 
that I might learn your statutes. Oh, that's an interesting way of thinking about suffering and affliction, isn't it? That it was good because then I learned the statutes. That was all I had to cling on to and it was good. It's like saying, I'm so glad it was good for me to be stranded in the desert without water for two days because when I had that first drink after that, I really, really understood the life-giving nature of water and I haven't forgotten that yet. Yet again, how many times do we take things for granted? I want us to be a people, I want to be a person who appreciates that life-giving quality of God's word. And I think of, I can't help but think of uh, other places in the world where things like water aren't taken for granted, where people walk miles for it. I would think that they would truly appreciate the quality of water. And in in the same way, There are many places in this world that don't have good access to God's word. I think of how people risk their lives to be able to even read this, let alone have a copy of it. I think they might be people who truly appreciate the value of God's word and I want us to move closer to that. There's another thing uh, that he mentions over and over again in Psalm 119 is this concept of God's word being a source of delight. Now we've said God's word is practical, it's useful, we need to appreciate it. But there's a difference between that and delighting in God's word. What do you delight in? What do you take pleasure in? What do you get excited about and anticipate when you're not experiencing it and delight in it when you are? Is it travel? Is it kids? Is it video games? Is it sports? Can you imagine a world where people were as excited about God's word as they were about the Seahawks? Imagine that world, just for a second. It would be unbelievable. Or think about a time with food, right? Even just something as simple as a donut. I love donuts, I delight in donuts. I think that would be really fair to say that I delight in sugary things. I anticipate them, I salivate over them. And when I am able to take that bite, it's just this moment of delight. And yet I find myself often struggling when interacting with God's word to have that same kind of interaction with God's word as I do with a donut. And it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Here's the Bible, here's life. Here's a relationship with God and I get more excited a lot of times over sugar and flour. Just being real. 
But what would it take? What would it take to have this author's perspective of God's word where we delight in it, knowing those that, that the Bible is really a relationship? Even think of the person that you most enjoy spending time with. Or think about that time of dating or whatever, right? When you, when you just, you, you loved being with that person and you couldn't stand being away from them and it was all mushy and everything else but it was also beautiful because there's kind of that picture of what we could have in our interaction with God and with his word. Longing for that. We're just scratching the surface, I know. And I, and I hope that, that you can dig in deeper uh, this week in Psalm 119 to see some of those other things that the author has experienced and wants to share with the rest of us. But I told you in the beginning that I wanted to ask you two questions. What is God's word to you? you know, do you identify with any of those things? Do you identify with God's word as being life? as being, as delighting in it, as being useful, as being practical, as being a love letter from God. What, what is God's word to you? And the second question is, where is God's word to you? You're like, that doesn't seem like proper grammar. It probably isn't, but here's what I mean by it. Where is God's word to you? I think for some people, maybe even some people in this this room, God's word is behind them. That it was okay for back then. It was okay when I needed a crutch. It was, it was okay when I was a kid, but I've grown up now. I've moved past the need for God's word. And if that's the case, I would humbly submit that such a person is walking in the wrong direction. For some people, God's word is under them, where they get to be in charge of what God's word says. That I get to interpret scripture the way I want to interpret, that I get to pick pieces out of scripture that I like and dismiss the rest. And I get to be the judge. I get to be God over his word. Again, I would humbly suggest that that is not the position for a person to be in, to have authority over what should have authority over us. If I'm honest with you, and I feel like I should be, I think for me, God's word is often here, just by the side, within easy reach. I like it, I appreciate it, I can go to it if I need it easily, but oftentimes I live my life like I don't need it as much as I really do. Here's where I think it should be. Over us, in authority over us, in that we should be in submission to and under the word of God and also ever before us, right? With our eyes on this as our light, 
to our path. That's where it should be. Above us, over us, and before us.